0: Welcome back to the Magic of the Spheres podcast. This is Sabrina Monarch, and in this episode, I'm going to tell you the story about how I came to know evolutionary astrology and how it actually saved my life. But before I can tell you that story, I have to back up and give you a little bit of context about my earlier life. And I want to say, too, that we find these transformational schools of thought, or sometimes we find our life purpose, or we really come into contact with gems and treasures when we're plunged into the underworld or when we're in crisis or when our life has presented us with cataclysm. And this seismic event in my life happened in 2012. And 2012 was a really huge year for a lot of people. Astrologically, it was the Uranus-Pluto square. And there was like a libidinal awakening, transformative Extreme kind of radical energy in the air. And a lot of people had spiritual awakenings during that time, including myself. But first to back up, as a child, or even as like I have very early memories, like even back to the crib, like I have a very early memory of just experiencing op- the sensation of opening and closing my eyes and having no, no identity, like not really having a sense of who I was or, you know, but just being enchanted by the, the play of light and throughout my early life. And even, you know, I think I was in my own world. I had a very vivid imagination. And by the time that I got to school, I think that I had somewhat of a struggle in terms of social connection. I usually had like one best friend at a time and I felt I just felt a certain difficulty with belonging. And I think that it got more intense um, as I got older and more like adolescent where it came to just a lot of self-confidence issues and not really feeling like I had a group of friends or not really feeling like I was attractive and not feeling appreciated or valued. And I also experienced like bullying in middle school And so I just had like a difficult time. And I think a lot of people have a difficult time in school, but I do also think that some people really thrive or they have, you know, they have their group or they have their sports or extracurriculars and they feel a sense of connection to reality. But I didn't really feel that. However, in um, when I was like 16, I started to kind of have some breakthroughs. And it came actually through smoking marijuana and just having a very dreamy, enchanted experience with reality and starting to notice synchronicities and starting to find a deep pleasure in my internal subjective reality. And sometimes I would go to school high and no one knew that I was high and I could just see... um, fluctuations or kind of impressions in reality that I would write down in notebooks. And I just kind of thought it was my imagination or, you know, it was just interesting to me. And it also soothed my boredom. During this um, time period of being in high school, I think I was 15, the first time that I went on antidepressants. And this came from my family. My mom You know, sat me down and said that depression ran in our family line, at least on her side, and that it was a chemical imbalance in the brain and that you could try, you know, taking antidepressants and go to therapy and, you know, just get better. And the precept was also that you could be on antidepressants like forever, like it's just this problem in your brain and it's too bad and we have to medicate it and that's just the way it is. And I didn't have that much perspective on it at the time. So I went ahead and tried it. And up until the age of 21, I was on and off antidepressants. When I got to college, I went to school in Olympia, Washington at the Evergreen State College. And I felt this burst of aliveness in me. I felt Like I had a crew of friends for the first time in my life. I loved going out into the woods with my friends. I was really enchanted by the way that I was out in the woods one time with this girl and a group of people and she saw a spider, like there was a spider on her and she delicately lifted the spider by a thread that it was on and just moved it off of her with such grace. And where I grew up in Southern California, it usually if I saw a girl see a spider, she'd scream and impulsively kill it. So I was like, I'm in a different place. And there was much less of kind of like a Hollywood image vibe and more of this like earth mama, like put your toes in the dirt and be a hippie vibe. And I felt much more comfortable and much more confident in myself. And I even didn't wear makeup for a year when I was an undergrad, um, my freshman year, and still dated people still was considered beautiful by people around me. And that just felt so unheard of in my previous reality. And I started, you know, my psychic life, which I didn't necessarily know as psychic then, was continuing to increase. Magic was continuing to increase. And I was having all of these revelations about the nature of reality and how socially conditioned we are because I was basically transplanted into a whole other social matrix. And so I could see that, um, social norms were relative based on location. And I started to question a lot of the social norms that I grew up with in Southern California. And I would tell these things that I found to my parents who, um, in Sometimes with some insights, they were kind of enchanted by it or happy for me or like, that's cool. And other times they were like, no, that's not how it is. And I had this sense of like really wanting to liberate my parents from their reality and help them. And that wasn't part of my own psychology that I really questioned or thought about. Um, objectively or in a detached way. It was very much an impulsive, I have to help my family see reality the way I do. And that was something that I discovered early in my um, undergrad days. So then some time went on and continuing through undergrad and all the kind of intensity of your, you know, 19, 20 years. And when I was 21, my life drastically changed. It was May 1st, 2012. And I had, well, just leading up to this day, I was into astrology. I've been into astrology since I was a kid, but I wasn't super educated on it. I had a very rudimentary understanding of it, but I did know all the signs and I knew the planets. I didn't really pay attention to the outer planets. I kind of went out to Jupiter and stopped there. And I knew that I was having a Jupiter square my needle Mars transit I think that I wasn't exactly sure about the dates, but it was something that I had researched and it was in my daily consciousness during this time period in 2012. And when I researched this, I was given the impression that I was about to receive a massive opportunity and that I might um, overestimate my abilities and take on more than I could handle and that I could make a disastrous error in judgment. But all the same, exciting, massive opportunity, go for it. I was encouraged by my research, um, by something I read. It was saying like, go out and do things. Increase the avenues through which Jupiter and this massive opportunity can find you. Don't just sit at home waiting for something to happen. And the part about overestimating my abilities, massive error and judgment, I kind of just Brush that off. And it's probably good that I did because had I not been, you know, had I been cautious, I don't think I would be where I am today. So then it's May 1st, 2012, and I wake up from a dream in the morning where I'm in this cloudy space and it feels really heavenly and like I'm inside of a cloud, like it's just bliss. And I can hear... This kind of like gentle music and chimes coming through like a beaded curtain. I can't see a beaded curtain, but that was just the the vibe and like incense smoke trailing through. And there's these elders and they're talking about me. And from the way that they're talking about me, although I cannot understand them, I understand that I'm about to be bestowed some advancement in life. And I wake up with the word Jupiter. On my tongue. And I wake up to this golden light coming through my window and illuminating my you know, beige walls and my rectangular bedroom into a shade of gold. And it was the easiest transition into the waking day. I was so light on my feet, like I was still in the cloud. That day, it was my friend's birthday, and I was really excited to get together with her. And I called her up in the morning, and found out that she was going to be, you know, she, maybe we could meet up later, she'd call me around two. um, And this would be before we would all go out to a bar at night to celebrate her birthday. And by the time that two came and passed, I hadn't heard from her. And I was starting to feel really weirdly anxious, like I felt like I was bursting out of my skin. And so I decided to smoke a bowl and see if I could appease my anxiety. And so there I was high pacing around my room and suddenly my bottle of antidepressants stuck out to me, kind of like the silver light of my cabinet mirror striking me angularly in my periphery. And I zone in on this bottle of chalky yellow pills. And I couldn't remember if I'd taken one that day. And I didn't want to risk taking, two, And I started to feel very strange about those pills. Like, what are they? What's even in them? What are the long-term side effects of being on these? And am I really depressed? Or was depression just an illusion of my early life because I didn't feel a sense of belonging and I didn't have things that were making me happy? And so I was just perpetually in this cycle of suffering. Is that my brain chemistry? Or was it my circumstance? So, I didn't take another pill, but I decided I had this intuition that I had to look up moon opposition Pluto, which is something that I have in my natal chart. And so, I looked it up on the computer and I found an article from just a Google search about moon opposition Pluto that I hadn't seen before. And as I read it, it told me that moon Pluto people are able to skillfully extract information from other people like a spy but one should be careful to also contribute or interact with other people in an earnest way and suddenly my computer looked so bright I couldn't bear to look at it anymore and I slammed it shut and I felt like I would burst if I didn't go out to the woods so I drove out to the woods and after I got out of the car I smoked again And I felt a sense of lightness and freedom, no longer boxed in in my rectangular room, an open sky before me, tall trees, birds. And I walked through the trail and there's a lot of older people out today. And it's this enchanting image to see all this white hair bobbing through the trails And I started to see my life in a different way. I started to notice that I was moving at a different speed than other people in my life. And that in fact, everyone was moving at their own kind of orbital speed. And I had some friends that I was starting to feel impatient with and kind of annoyed with and kind of like, come on, like get over it, have fun. Stop dwelling on this stuff, like get over your shit. And I was tired of holding space for them or kind of like nodding as they talked about their problems. And I was just like, come on. And I realized that suddenly there was nothing personal about what was happening to me in my life, that I was on my own speed and other people were on their speeds. And if we were on the same wavelength, we would intersect. And if not, then we wouldn't. And I felt peace. And then while I was outside, I looked up and I asked the birds and the trees and whoever else might be listening, I wish for magic. And I don't know why I said that. I went home and then through a series of kind of delays and distractions and just a flow of events that weren't really in my direct kind of engineering or control, I ended up late to my friend's birthday party and there was only you know there were no seats left at her table so they had asked the man sitting at the table next to them would you mind sharing and he said sure and so I sat next to him And I really wouldn't have talked to him had it not been for the girl to my right at the birthday table whispering into my ear, that man over there is weird. I've seen him here before. He talks in different accents. And I said to her, well, what do you think that means? And she said, I don't know. It's just weird. So curious, I turned over to my left and started up a conversation with the man just to hear his accent and kind of get a temperature check on what was happening. And sure enough, he did have this Irish accent that I'm not really going to try to imitate for you guys. I'm sorry. And we were talking for a little bit about this and that. And then I noticed his pile of books and there was one word blaring across the binding of the thickest book that said astrology. And so I asked him, you're into astrology. And he said, looking at me dead serious, I'm Jupiter. And only because I had read that article about moon opposition Pluto, which flashed in my mind, like as bright as that computer screen had looked to me in that moment earlier that day, I said, I dreamt of Jupiter this morning. And he says, just so. And we continue to have a conversation. Soon I find out that he lives his life by the moon cycles and he has this app on his phone to track the moon and an app that shows the stars. I'd never seen any of this kind of stuff before. We become fast friends. I eventually decided to spend every single day with this man because I found out that he was gonna pick up and leave at the next moon which at the time I didn't even really know what that meant. But I had the impression that it was around a month of time. And I was very enchanted by him. He believed in magic and he was telling me things about magic. He had these awesome tall tales. And then I find out, you know, so I'm just going to kind of skip a lot of, um, content of this story. Truthfully, I have written a novel inspired by this experience. So that's out there. (laughs) It's not actually out there. I'm waiting for it to be published or working on it being published. But anyways, he is an ex CIA agent. And there's something very provocative psychologically about that for me at the age of 21. You know, I'd never met a wild ex-spy that kind of just dropped into my reality, precipitated by a somewhat precognitive dream. It was very dangerous and very exciting. You know, I, I was naive and I was young. I wasn't really sure, you know, could the government then be watching me if I'm hanging out with him? Like, what are the ramifications? What are the implications of hanging out with this person? But I felt this deep heart connection, even like a past life connection. There were too many synchronicities, too much kind of like karmic, like everything in your life is pointing you towards this moment. And here's this big adventure, the massive opportunity. So one time when we were out in the woods together, he offered to teach me anything I wanted to know. And I accepted. It was very exciting. And I was actually in class, you know, I was still in college and I stopped going to class because... I just wanted to hang out with this ex spy instead and hang out in the woods. And I was getting really bored with class. And also, as I was hanging out with this man, and I had my friends meet him, and we would go out and get drinks and just talk. And everyone was also really lit up by this person. He was kind of like a campfire. <laughs> like we're just sitting around him and hearing these amazing stories. But he talked about at one time at the bar how alcohol is spirits. You know, that's why they call it spirits and that different alcohols will have different spiritual effects and that he really preferred mead, the wine made from honey, that it had a good vibration to it. But that certain alcohols like Jack Daniels or whiskey, like that's not not good for him and he'll become like possessed basically. And then he he went on to say that when you're um, depressed or anxious or you know when you're having these negative emotions that it sounds like your own thoughts that you're having but they're actually spirits. I'd never heard anyone talk like this before, never in my life. <laughs> and I thought about that day I'd had just if you know that day that I met him where I was so repelled by my antidepressants. And I thought you know I said that it's like you know the other day. I really started to feel weird about my antidepressants and I've been considering just going off them. And he was like, you know, be careful with that. Um, but, you know, maybe find some plant allies or things like lavender, or, you know, cashews are also a really good antidepressant. So he started to give me some advice about what I could do to manage my depression in a more holistic way. But I went ahead and I stopped taking my antidepressants. And I think that you're kind of supposed to taper off those things but I didn't. I just actually, I didn't stop taking them. I took them every other day and then stopped taking them, which I have no idea what the ramifications of that were. And I kept hanging out with the ex-spy and hanging out in the woods and having these enchanted experiences of like animal totems and um, hearing things that the spy was telling me that I felt like my whole life had led up to it. Like there was a deep connection. And also he reflected back parts of me or he really could see me in ways that I didn't feel anyone had ever seen me before. And at least they'd never verbalized it back to me before. And it it kind of shattered a layer of defensiveness or just guarding that I had that I didn't even know I had. And I just felt so healed, so seen. Um, and not surprisingly, you know, I started to actually fall in love and it turned into a romantic connection and I was full of intense ecstasy. Like it was passionate. It was fun. It was wild. It was like my life became a romance novel, but as I fell asleep every night after having the most incredible experience during the day and the most dynamic, most enchanted, like the edges of everything are glowing and I just feel so high, happier than I've ever been. As I'd fall asleep, I started to see a slideshow of images of traumas in my life all these little micro moments of times where i had decided to shut down where all these moments where people projected things onto me that weren't my identity but i didn't know any better or something and i just kind of took it on myself i started to really make a connection about how i had never been clinically depressed like that is one paradigm sure and i had been deconstructing that with the spy because he was talking to me and, you know, telling me about how there's the magical realm and there's the shamanic realm and how Western medicine is another realm and it doesn't totally understand the shamanic or the spiritual realm. And they're kind of barbaric in a sense. And they want to treat things with these pills or address your brain chemistry when there's actually this reality of spirits and this enchanted reality. But I started to see that I wasn't depressed. I started to see that I was traumatized and that I was shut down, and that my reality kept reinforcing my trauma and that I didn't understand it because I didn't um, understand myself well enough. You know, I didn't understand myself well enough to know what I needed to be happy, I didn't understand health enough to know what I needed to eat. And this was before I even knew anything about the microbiomes and how your gut health affects your brain health. But I knew I had this, you know, one of the things that was happening during this time was I very radically, I started to see auras around food and certain foods and not like glowing lights around the food, but more like the food itself became animated. And so certain foods looked heavenly, like there was like, you know, angels and roses and harp music playing around it and I was like, this is what I need to eat. And I would feel so good when I ate it. And then there were other foods that looked really sickly and gross and they looked like they were decaying. And I started to realize that masses of people in our world were eating food that was the kind of food that looked repulsive and sickly to me. And I was like, our culture is sick. I was so, like, it was the first time I realized that. It was like, we're eating poison. And I was so upset about that. And at the same time, I was blissfully eating berries and nuts and feeling sublime and super alive. So I kind of go back and forth between bliss and ecstasy and realizing that um, something was kind of terribly wrong with the world and that I had a traumatic past that I didn't even know I had. And then I guess here's where my disastrous error and judgment came into play. I had some dreams during that time of pure white light and birds singing. And I had this knowing that I needed to speak all the time without filter and that it would set me free. And in my, my imagination of how that would go, I was you know, I was so enchanted by the words and the intellectual, spiritual prowess of my new lover. And I kind of thought that I could do the same thing to the world where I was like, anything that I say, like I can convince anyone of anything. And I also, I kind of became combative. Like I was like, here's this truth that I've discovered and I'm gonna share it with everyone. And if they don't agree with me, I am going to pummel it into them with force and make sure they agree with me. Like I kind of became a monster and I thought that I was like doing that out of love. Like it was like tough love. Like this is what they need. And I decided to do that with my family too. like call them up on the phone and be like, these are these things I've realized about reality. And, you know, expecting that if they resisted it, it was like their shadow that was resisting it, but they would come to see the truth and that I would set them free and set myself free. So I kind of had this zealotry kind of complex or messiah thing going on. And it was a d- total disaster. My parents thought that something was deeply wrong with me. And, you know, my mom was like, Are you sure you're okay? Like, you have a lot of energy. Maybe there's something wrong with your thyroid. Like, maybe you should see a doctor. And I just, like, laughed. And I was like, I'm happier than I've ever been. Why would I go to the doctor? Like, I'm full of health. And I was just like, yeah, being a little monster. And I was also just really like, are you serious? Like, I'm happy. And I need to go to the doctor. Like, I'm telling you our culture is sick. And I've just awoken from this cultural sickness. And you want me to go to a doctor and get sick again. Like, honestly, WTF. <laughs> So that went on for a little bit. My parents asked me to move home and see a psychiatrist. And I was pretty confident that I could get out of the situation that I was like, yeah, sure, I'm going to see the psychiatrist. He'll see how healthy and full of life I am and I'll be fine. And so I also walked into the psychiatry session with complete confidence that I was like about to face off with a dark magician and I was going to win. And I was quickly disillusioned so hard because as I was talking to the psychiatrist, it started to dawn on me like a, a rain cloud over the whole scene that everything that was coming out of my mouth actually sounded insane from the consensus reality viewpoint and that he had no sympathy, no intellectual, no cosmological sympathy for what I was experiencing. And I was quickly diagnosed as bipolar one, the more serious kind of bipolar, and basically told that I would need medication for the rest of my life. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I just had a really extreme experience. Like, I, I'm in the middle of a spiritual awakening. And I'm, I think that I've made some intellectual errors. You know, I think it didn't occur to me that I couldn't just talk without filter. And, you know, I also stopped taking my antidepressants cold turkey. And I mean, I fell in love with an ex-spy. Like that's, that's pretty triggering, right? Like, and, you know, became his like lover and apprentice. Like, wouldn't anyone kind of go a little bit wild after that? And, You know, there was a few weeks where I tried to argue my case and everything was kind of used against me. Like that, you know, it was like, you didn't actually meet an ex-CIA agent. You're totally delusional. Um, Or you're naive. Like he's a liar. Spies can't say they're spies. There's something wrong with your judgment. Or, you know, that's a dangerous connection and bipolar people love danger and et cetera, et cetera. I'll also back up to say that as I was In Olympia, speaking my truth without filter, there were a lot of people who were super enchanted. I did an interruptive art performance thing in my class and people wanted my autograph and were telling me I was going to be famous. So I just became very polarizing. And I had been before perhaps overly docile or overly agreeable. And so it was like this volcanic bursting inside of me about like, I'm going to be a polarizing person and I'm going to say what I want and I'm going to convert other people to my point of view instead of submitting to other people's point of view. So it's this kind of like reactive volcanic process that I was going through. And the whole time, although that I was kind of consumed or in a flow of energy that I didn't seem to have control over as it was starting to wind down and i was met with the extreme consequence of psychiatric intervention i could realize that okay perhaps i've misstepped here i don't want to be on pills i don't accept this diagnosis i really feel like my experience was valid and i don't i don't feel like it's not my truth right now it's really not my truth that i'm just subject to randomly flip out uh, you know the way that they painted this disorder to me was that you're going to have these highs and lows and some things in life might trigger a mania and you have no control over it and you need to take these pills so that you do have control over it. And I felt like I just got so high. I had the most ecstatic experience and I started to experience magic and these kind of psychic things and synchronicities. And I actually would feel, I could feel the blood pumping through my vein. There was one day during this experience of ecstasy where I looked at my arm and I could see my veins for like the first time. And I was like, I'm alive. I felt more powerful. I felt more myself than ever before. And I could feel like, you know, I had a lot of repression going on, a lot of trauma. And so maybe I was a little bit explosive, but I honestly think that I could integrate this. I'm going to start a new lifestyle. I'm going to be eating differently. I'm going to do yoga. Like I don't need pills but they wouldn't have it. My parents were really terrified. Um, There was a lot going on in their lives too, that I had pretty much no sympathy or understanding for at the time. Like I was in my own world and I couldn't really, you know, had I been more balanced or whatever, I probably wouldn't have called them up and been telling them about reality the way that I was like, actually, I knew that they were going through a lot of stuff, but I assumed that the stuff they were going through was the result of their spiritual misalignment and so I was educating them on how they had created their own struggles and they didn't want that and like I don't do that to people anymore because I realized that it's an act of violence um it can be an act of violence to deconstruct someone's reality for it when you're reality for them when you're not invited I spent um so first of all I was given an antipsychotic, Latuda. And I had a terrible experience with it. You know, the first night that I took it, it was actually kind of pleasant. I felt this weird popping sensation in different parts of my body. And I felt instantly calmed down. Like it felt kind of like a pleasant drug. And then I had a really vivid dream in the morning where at the end of it, this man comes to me and he's like, beware young Pisces of the boundaries as you travel between the realms. (laughs) And I was like, oh, that's a good message for me right now. And I'm not a Pisces, but I have a lot of Pisces in my chart. And I could understand that this being was coming to me saying like, your reality is real, but you're getting in trouble because you've blended realms in an inappropriate way. Like you can't just take all this shamanic and spiritual information and like funnel it forcefully into the mundane world. And like that's why you're in trouble. And that's what the message I got from it anyway. But after I was on this antipsychotic for like a few weeks, um, or even actually a few days, is when it started to really kick in in this way that became highly detrimental. And what happened was that I was really tired all the time, but I couldn't sleep. And that was the most irritating feeling on my nervous system to have insomnia, but to be so tired. And I also started to, and this would last even with, after I took off this medication and went on to a different one, Something happened in my brain chemistry. And these pills are targeted at your brain chemistry. And I, I try to argue, like, I don't think brain chemistry creates reality. Like, you're a materialist right now. Like, you think that the material realm influences everything else. And I'm telling you that they're in a circular relationship. And my emotions can create my brain chemistry. And I can create my own brain chemistry. And they're like, no, no, no. Take your pills. But the pills actually did something to my brain chemistry. And what happened was that... I started to realize that when I was angry because I couldn't fall asleep, I started to have these fantasies about murdering like my psychiatrist. And I would imagine it in such detail and it would feel so good. Like it was like so pleasurable and so ecstatic to picture like these violent images and then I could fall asleep. And I was like, I made the connection pretty quickly. Like this isn't me. This is like this distortion of my chemistry. And I know that the pills, they warn you, like if you have homicidal or suicidal thoughts, let us know. And I started to also have suicidal thoughts. I really wanted to off myself. Some time went by and I finally like flipped out and I was like, I can't be on this medication anymore. I really want to kill myself. Like we need to change up my medications. And so I didn't want to be on medications at all. Honestly, part of the only reason that I took them was because I had another dream with another spirit guide visiting me and like my my deepest like core of soul knowing, even though I had no idea what was to come, I felt this very deep sense of this is the path unfurled before me and I just need to follow it. I was intent on getting off the pills as soon as I felt safe to. I didn't feel safe not taking the pills and pretending to take them because they have very intense side effects. That if you don't, if you titrate, if you just take them all at once without tapering or titrating up, you can develop like a severe life threatening rash or like all this or like seizures or something. So I was like, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to take these pills. And I also didn't feel comfortable just running away from the situation and trying to survive on my own because I had. No resume, no marketable skills, no money, um, no like real social network to kind of hold me or something. Like I didn't really have anything to go out into the world with. And I'm also not a good, not a good worker. I've never been successful at like a retail or a food service job. Um, and I really, at the time was like, I'm such a visionary. I want to be paid for my mind and, I'm not in a state in my life yet. If that where that's true and I was a little bit scared or actually terrified that I would never get to that place. I was scared that I would just be kind of marginalized completely. Some so I went off the Latuda and got put on this regimen of three drugs, Lamictal and or, and the what's the word? The generic Um, version of Lamictal is Lamotrigine I was on Lamotrigine and Abilify and one other thing that I'm forgetting the name of oh Welbutrin so like an antidepressant a mood stabilizer and whatever the fuck Abilify is it's like some kind of intensifier or something of the other drugs sorry I didn't do my research again Before recording this, because that's honestly how little I care about this paradigm, though I know I need to like research it more sometimes if I want to talk about it in a more nuanced way. Um, I just have my own experience with taking these drugs. And so the the homicidal and suicidal ideations continued and I tried for a little bit of time. I didn't tell anyone that I was feeling that way because I didn't want to be taken off the drugs and put on new drugs because from my understanding, if I ever got better, if, it was like a huge if, not like people around me weren't like, we believe in you. Like people were treating me like I was, um, like I had never been treated that way in my life. Like everything that came out of my mouth didn't matter. And when I said things, it was like, Sabrina, like you have a brain disorder, wake up and smell the coffee. Like what you're saying isn't true. It isn't real. Just take the pills and get better. And I became, invalidated, just in a blanket way. And I thought for a few weeks that the power of my my rational logic and my ability to display other, you know, ways of reality or that I could, you know, cook in the house and make really good healthy food and show how healthy I am. And, you know, I would try all these things to kind of get out of this situation. And nothing was working. Meanwhile, I had pleaded to the spy to rescue me. I told him I was thinking about killing myself every day. Like, please, like, buy me a plane ticket. Let me live with you. He was on the other side of the country at that point. I'll find a job. Like, I'm ready to leave my family. Like, Please save me. And he said no. And he was like, don't fucking kill yourself. Like, think about your ancestors and how they trudge through the snow. Like, wouldn't you rather do your work in comfort-ish? Like, I know it sucks over there, but like, at least you have shelter. Like, figure it out. And one more time, I begged him to save me. And then he disappeared. He just stopped talking to me for that period of time. And... I was really devastated because not only was I, you know, sidelined and kind of stuck in this like twilight zone hell, but the person that I was in love with wasn't talking to me. So I was like gut wrenchingly, devastatingly heartbroken. And all the while, all this is going on, and I'm supposed to present as happy and balanced in order to be considered sane and released back to my life. And I was like, my reality is so upsetting this the way that i'm being treated the way that i'm perceived um that i'm stuck in the suburbs and there's nothing to do and i'm so bored and i can't sleep but i'm so tired like everything's stacked against me and pressing down on me but i'm supposed to fucking smile and act like i'm balanced and they're kind of like yeah like you need to act balanced and they were like you can't fake it you're either better or you're not And I kind of smiled to myself, like, you can't fake it. But that's exactly what I did. I had all these stories that I'd gained from spending all this time with the spy. You know, it wasn't a long period of time that I spent with him, but it was concentrated. And I heard his stories about going into deep cover. And I started to use that. I said all the necessary things. I came to my parents and I said, I've realized I'm bipolar and I need to get better. Thank you for helping me. Thank you for saving me from myself. And I took the pills. And while I had this interior narrative about feeling so miserable, calculating different ways I might kill myself, imagining different ways to kill other people in order to fall asleep at night, and just, you know, being so miserable that it it hurt like it was like needles sticking into me misery at all times. But I kept a smile on my face. I made pleasant conversation and I said everything I needed to do to get out. And it was very calculated. And that was my only choice. No amount of speaking my heart or telling my parents about my reality or reasoning with my psychiatrist was actually serving me So I just did what I had to do to survive. And I was starting to kind of, you know, I really struggled with hope and despair because I was hoping that I would get out someday and that I would have a life someday. Like I felt so traumatized, so damaged, so opened from this ecstatic experience where I was like, I can't live a normal life. I don't want a job. I want to be a visionary for a living. I want to be valued by society. I don't want to be marginalized like this. And I was really scared that my life was going to be a tragedy. And I was kind of, I was willing to not kill myself at the moment because I didn't really have confidence that I would be able to pull it off. Um, I had, you know, researched methods and was like very seriously considering it, but I just, I didn't have a surefire method to like, not kind of just heavily injure myself, but not actually die and I kind of, I made a deal with myself about like, I'll give myself a year, and if my life doesn't improve, I'll revisit this killing myself concept. And by this time, I had reached out to an evolutionary astrologer because I had gotten a reading from him back in Olympia when I had um, been in my awakening experience, and he said things to me that were so real and so penetrating, and I was like, how do you know me? like this when you've just met me. And I'd been studying astrology on my own, but I had no idea how he was sourcing his knowledge about me from looking at his chart. And so I was very, you know, before I met him, I had this kind of arrogance about astrology in terms of like, I don't need anyone else to read my chart or tell me about me because I've studied it. And he kind of like shattered that when I got a reading with him. And so I emailed him and I asked him if I could get a reading because, you know, I was just It had been five months and I was still stuck in this weird hell. And I told him my situation and mind you, I had been talking to like strangers, like I would go on meetups and go on hikes. And I was always trying to find something to do to not be bored and not be miserable. And it was a daily struggle. Um, And I would have just slept all day if it didn't hurt my body to just lay in bed all day. Um, or if it wouldn't look like I was unbalanced, you know, I had to have a somewhat normal sleep schedule and like appear normal. So I couldn't just like die in bed as I wanted to. So I would go out and I would meet people on these like meetup hikes and I would tell them my story. And some people were like, wow, and like really held space for it. And were like, you're not insane, like you're a visionary. And like there was one, you know, before my soul died so much during this experience, like when it was first really fresh um, that I was stuck at home, I went out and was at this art show and like some guy was like I need to paint you like I would go out and just charm people because I had this newfound ability to do so and I was always kind of hoping that someone would like save me because of that like someone would be really rich and be like you're beautiful like let me like have you live with me or, like I was just in this like frantic like I have to get out of my reality place and so that didn't happen but having like the feedback from random strangers of like you're amazing like you're so bright and full of life and interesting and you're going to be famous someday like people were just telling me that kind of stuff but I got more and more miserable and more dead inside and so it was a little bit harder to evoke that kind of response from people but I would go out and just tell my sad story to people and I made some like really amazing friends um And I had like one friend or like a few friends who really showed up deeply for me during that time, like a Scorpio friend of mine who like one time she was in my room with me and she just hugged me while I cried and I felt one of our spines crack and she's a Scorpio. And I was just like, oh, like this felt so right. And she said to me, she's like, you're in more pain than you can bear. And I was like, yes. (laughs) Like, And just her like holding me while she said that was really one of the most beautiful moments during that time period. But even though I had been talking to people about my situation, a lot of people could recognize that, you know, that some kind of bomb had dropped in my life and that I didn't believe I was mentally ill, that I was determined to like be happy again. I was scared I would never be happy again. And people didn't really know, I guess, advice to give me or like anything to like describe the context of what was happening. But when I saw this astrologer, his insight was so penetrating and so enlivening and so gave me hope that I was going to be okay because he read my soul and he talked to me about my purpose and my karma and he contextualized this entire shit show and this situation that I had manifested in my life and what I was learning from it and what my soul was here to do and it resonated with me, and it woke up a deep part of me. Then when I, you know, a month later, I was released, basically. I was playing along. I never said anything out of the the script, and I was in the psychiatrist's office. And I felt kind of like I was on like a reality TV show or something like survivor. And I was like being granted like access to the next level. And they're like, you made it like you've improved so quickly. And I was like, yeah, you all think I have. And like, all I did was I gained the ability to armor up myself and not speak out of turn and just be agreeable and give you all the proper lip service and conform to this reality. Meanwhile, while being so dead inside and so achingly miserable, it was the biggest theatrical performance and extensive deep cover spy work of my whole life. And I just won. And oh yes, I'm bipolar. And I will take my medications forever because I never want to be unbalanced again. I recognize that it's much more worthwhile to be medicated than to risk the possibility of being manic. And however, as soon as I moved back to Olympia, I tapered off the pills slowly. I would actually cut them with a pocket knife because I didn't have the ability to tell my psychiatrist, like my parents had set it up so that the psychiatrist was able to tell them about my treatment. So I couldn't just level with him and be like, Hey, I'm not going to take these pills. Can you help me taper off them? So I would cut them with a pocket knife, started taking less and less of them and eventually started to pick up my prescriptions um, because I was just keeping up the act and. If the finances of that could be tracked or whatever by my family um, because they were paying for it, they weren't making me pay for my own medication. So I would um, pick up the prescription, throw it in the trash, and I also started to study evolutionary astrology because this person that I got into reading from held a class in Olympia. And as I took that class, I gained access to the paradigm of evolutionary astrology. I'd been a self-studier of astrology for a long time like since i was a kid but this was the first time that i could put astrology in a whole context and understand it as a system it was the first time that i gained the ability to form my own astrological interpretations or to read the natal chart so the map of the cosmos at a person's birth from a holistic perspective like not just isolating like oh your moon's in this and your sun's here and your rising's here and your venus is here but to like actually see the angles that they make to each other and to form um, <clears throat> like an understanding of how everything is working together in the chart. And also to understand the, the deep core desires of a soul and what kinds of ego structures or personality structures a soul has inhabited in prior lives and developed a deep familiarity with versus what personality structures and ego structures are meant to be developed in this life. As I studied this system I was able to process the trauma I had experienced. I was able to understand my unconscious and my shadow and why I had the particular, you know, not everyone has a spiritual awakening in college and decides that they have to phone home about it. Like, why was I so compulsive about converting my family? You know, and that's in my natal chart. And, you know, why was I so, I was thinking that I wanted to share my reality with people to help them that it was out of love, but I was actually motivated by an inner insecurity and a need to be believed because if I had just believed myself, I wouldn't have to prove myself and I could live by example and create change in the world another way. And so I was able to really process what had happened. And instead of buying into this cultural narrative from the psychiatric and like medical model that I had a disease and I needed to take these pills for the rest of my life to monitor it, I realized that my, the inflation that I had experienced and the irrational judgments and all of that were, they were based on ideas that I had that were, you know, my consciousness was really not developed enough to hold the experience that I had. Like it was this influx of spiritual and cosmic and like awakening energy and Visions about life, but I didn't have intellectual frameworks to hold that. I didn't study things like boundaries. You know, I studied boundaries extensively because of astrology and the Capricorn archetype and the 10th house. Like I learned about through astrology, like all these different areas of life and how they interact with each other. I didn't have access or I had never studied inflation as a concept or, you know, how people move through e- extreme spiritual experiences because. I wasn't in a world where people talked about that. And so I experienced it head on. I had a spiritual emergency and a spiritual awakening, but the cultural frameworks and paradigms around me had no space for that. And so there is a way, like if a culture doesn't have space for something, it's going to either try to control it and make it conform, or it's going to put it away somewhere, like in an institution, a prison, an asylum. And basically that has what that's what happened to me. And also, you know, when I was coming out of that, I struggled with a lot of like victimhood about it and, you know, feeling like an orphan and feeling really angry at my family and using astrology as a spiritual framework and studying the archetypes in depth and the nature of the soul and reincarnation. I was able to process a lot of that and to also ask the question about why did my soul choose this? This happened, you know, seven years ago. And my family relationships have improved and progressed in major ways. Um, And that's been really beautiful. This experience has shaped me and forged me in such a deep way. And why I say evolutionary astrology saved my life was because gaining the, the narrative about the nature of the soul, what we're doing here, why we choose our lives and how... Where like our life experiences are here for us to help us evolve. And we have this in an unconscious place, you know, we'll really resist things. And sometimes the things we're resisting are exactly what we need to learn. No, I was resisting learning about and respecting boundaries. And I was resisting creating structures in my life. Like when I was in high school, I didn't do any extracurriculars. Like I did well in school because it's easy for me to, um, like I have that kind of academic intelligence, but I didn't wasn't thinking about how to structure and engineer my life. And then when it dawned on me that I had nothing to show for myself, that I had this really developed consciousness and these intuitive faculties, um, but I had no resume. I didn't have a website. I didn't have a track record. And so I really had to develop things like consistency, um, or creating, you know, a consistent offering like the forecast or like learning about, you know, significantly, like before I got into like the business side and like becoming an astrologer in the world, I did a lot of inner transformation about really deconstructing my need to be validated by other people. And, developing a state of interior wholeness and seeing myself and investing in myself and not being a victim in life anymore, not waiting for something to happen, not blaming the world around me for something not happening, but actually just like discovering my inner reserves and constructing a healthier ego and a healthier personality and I did all this because of my studies of astrology. It was a system that actually could contain the experiences that I was really having. And something that I feel and really, you know, I think other people see this too, is that there are these paradigms like the medical model or psychiatry or um, the kind of consensus philosophy where we have certain frameworks for things. And then we have these other experiences that don't fit in the framework. It's like you can't measure love scientifically or measure feelings scientifically. Maybe there are ways now that we have or whatever. But if like, there's this dominant paradigm that things aren't real unless you can prove them. And so you can be having these interior subjective psychic experiences. And if you're in a reality where that's not real, like me, you might blow up someday Part of what had been so triggering about my whole experience was that the spy told me one day, he was like, you're so psychic. And I was like, what? And he was like, everything, you know, I was like, I thought that was my imagination. And he showed me how these notes that I'd kept about my, you know, Like I kept field notes. I would just observe reality and write about it. And he was like, you're... I thought that I was writing dramatized versions of reality. Like I was just being an artist and kind of giving it a little bit of flair. But he showed me that the way that I was perceiving reality, I was actually seeing deeper into the soul and the essence of things. And that's what my writing was. It wasn't my imagination. It was an actual psychic kind of knowingness. And that's part of also what triggered me so deeply was like I have a personality structure. I have a consciousness structure that hasn't been supported or validated by the social reality around me. And maybe that's why I was so depressed earlier and why I didn't know myself well. I really have had the experience when I share evolutionary astrology with other people or I meet people who have connected with it um, on their own, that it's in common that people will say that you know, evolutionary astrology can come to you at a moment in time where you really need it. When we do soul work, it's often because things have fallen apart. Things don't have to fall apart though to get into evolutionary astrology. It's kind of like you don't have to get sick to care about health. Um, but evolutionary astrology is really—I feel like it's very warrior-like um, soul warriorship, where you look into the unconscious of your soul, like what are your what's your shadow, and you discover how that's a strength and what's a treasure about that and how to refine it in the places where it's being expressed unconsciously. And so for me, I have Pluto, which is the soul um, in the ninth house and the ninth house is ruled by Sagittarius. And so that compulsive unconscious need, I had to be believed that way that I would pummel my reality into other people when I was having that awakening and try to convince and convert them. That was so shadowy for Pluto in the ninth house. But now I'm a philosopher. I'm a teacher. I'm an educator. And I'm a poet philosopher. I share my ideas on the internet, but I've learned how to do it in a way that is more inviting and is meant to reach the people who need it and want to hear it. I've learned a lot about boundaries in that way and about trusting reality, really, like not having a God complex where I need to fix other people for them or show other people the light or the truth as I see it, You know, but to like be grounded in my own truth, discover my truth, value it, and then offer it out. And that's been life-saving and it's been life-enhancing really because I've formed so many connections and now my job is about my consciousness. I've created my own business and every step of the way, the deep study and internalization of my own natal chart and my research about astrology has empowered me. Thank you so much for listening to my story. And I would really love to hear from you. You can make an Instagram story about it. You can DM me on Instagram. I'm at Sabrina Monarch. And I'd also invite you if you haven't checked out my weekly forecasts at monarchastrology.com. That's the place where I, you know, channel insights about the current astrology and I share them. And it's the healthier version of that side of me that was awoken during that experience where I wanted to philosophize with people, but I didn't yet have the container for it or the, the structures and the frameworks. But I also teach an evolutionary astrology course to teach people the paradigm of evolutionary astrology. And you can read more about that at my website, monarchastrology.com and my heart, you know, speaking this story to you has just felt so good I was unsure going into it I had to kind of like prep myself and get into a good space because I've shared this story on my website it's um a bio so there's like a written version of it and obviously I told it different because this is a different medium but I'm really so happy to be in a place in my life and in my personal development where I can share my truth and share my story and use it as a vehicle to empower other people. You know, this is just the tip of the iceberg, but some of what I'm really going to be sharing on this show are mental health and wellness tips. You know, I've, never gone back on medications because I had such a traumatic experience with them, but I still had struggles with depression. And I think those are neural pathways in our brain that if you have a history of depression, it's easier to get depressed. Just like if you make a habit every day, if you're like a person who laughs a lot, it's easier for you to laugh. Like you already tend to see things in a humorous light. And so instead of taking medications, I used a lot of healing techniques, some that I researched and some that I made up myself to actually change my brain chemistry myself. And I'm going to share those insights with you on the show because I think that these things are really important to talk about. And I also know that some people, you know, there's a stigma around mental illness. And part of why I want to tell my story is that when I I wrote a novel about this experience and when I was doing market research and I would go to like just Barnes and Noble the books that I could find about mental illness were coming from people who identified as, you know, being mentally ill. And like, that was the version of breaking the stigma of like, I'm ill, and it's okay. And I'm on medications, and it's okay. And I feel like I'm taking it a step farther where I'm like, I am a psychic, and I have clairvoyant abilities, and I have visionary qualities. And I had an extreme awakening experience that manifested as a partial psychosis. Like, I'm not going to Argue with that, I was kind of psychotic during that time period. However, I don't think that medication was ever going to help me. I know that altering my consciousness and finding spiritual frameworks and intellectual frameworks to learn how to live as the spiritual and clairvoyant and visionary person that I am is actually what has healed me. And in an ethical sense, I can't be silent about that. And I need to share that with people. And so the stigma of mental illness, I feel like it's still in the paradigm of mental illness being a thing. And the way that I've experienced it directly and the way that I see it in a framework is that a lot of mental illness is a manifestation of trauma that's unresolved. And there are other ways to create wellness and to create health that aren't in the disease model paradigm. Even, you know, I was sharing this on an Instagram story the other day that, like, I was just saying, like, have you ever just sat down and gone (sighs) over and over again to see how it feels in your body? It's a way to create positive chemicals for no reason. Nothing has to trigger it. This is another thing, you know, spiritually that can help people when you study different wellness techniques and meditation, et cetera, is that there's different spiritual ideas that can really help mental health. For example, there's by studying spiritual practices and things like law of attraction. And I learned about detachment really, where it's like we live in a reality where it's normal, like it's normalized to have reactions to things. Like it's considered justified. Like if something happens and like you're upset, like, yeah, that thing made you upset. And there's a lot of reactivity in our culture. And when you gain the ability to detach and to choose your own reactions to things, you gain a lot of liberation and you also gain power and responsibility with that power because you become more of a creator instead of being someone who's just responding reacting instinctually to things, you become someone who can respond, who can choose their response to reality. And for me, that's been a huge part of my mental wellness as well. And navigating as well between the dream realms and my fantasy and my visionary life and grounding those things into reality, you know, so I, I tend to not share things that aren't grounded in my being. You know, if I'm still working on a thought and still working on an idea, I might talk about it in dialogue to kind of work it out and massage it out with another person, but I don't proclimate it, you know, on the internet or something like that. Or if I do, I express it as an idea that I'm working with. There's a lot of ideas that I come into contact with that, you know, I sit with them. I see if they are livable I experiment with them. They move down into my body and like they become a grounded part of my essence. And, you know, that can happen with bad ideas too or uh, like non-life enhancing ideas. You know, we can develop thoughts about reality that aren't true. We can have negative thoughts about ourselves that aren't true. And we can also ground those into ourselves. And so I've learned about all these different self-development techniques that involve, you know, adding on to yourself as well as detoxifying or, you know, letting go of things that you don't need anymore. And it's become like a spiritual playground. It's really enjoyable. And it's really studying evolutionary astrology ultimately has helped me form an intimate relationship to life because now everything matters to me in a different way. Before I found astrology and, you know, during this experience where I felt, like I was potentially going to be so marginalized from reality. It was because I didn't connect to reality. It was like I saw people buying into the system and into the consensus reality without seeming to question it. And I was like, I can't do that because I don't connect with it. And something inside of me grains on me and feels like I'm dying inside if I just conform. But I don't know what I'm supposed to do otherwise. And when I found astrology and I found the way of navigating life through this system, um, where it's not, you know, astrology, evolutionary astrology isn't dogmatic. It's very, you know, multivalent. There's many opportunities, there's many perspectives, but this framework has just helped me engage with life by recognizing that everything has an archetypal essence. And so while I'm not into conformity and didn't want to... play into the same culture. I am really into boundaries and structures and engineering realities. And so creating a business and developing professionalism are similar archetypal energies, but they're more creative to me and they're more life enhancing. Um, And there's so many examples. I could keep talking about this, but I think I'm going to close here and say that I'm so excited to be on this journey with you, with this podcast. This has been really a initiative to speak my truth more and to provide more value in the world um apart from these forecasts that I write but to create a new platform where I can talk about real things that you know I've had a personal experience with it but I when I open up about it I meet so many people who are medicated by their parents like a kind of against their will or when they were too young to really have a say in it there's You know, people have been affected by this. I'm not the only one. And I feel like I'm also, I'm really blessed and really lucky that I had things line up the way they did. I didn't get psychiatrized against my will without full preparation because this time that I spent with the ex-spy You know, I learned about different realities and about shamanism and about spirits. And I also learned about spycraft. And, you know, during the time, it felt kind of like a sick joke that I was needing to use the spy training that I'd learned in my family to get out of this situation. But when I look back, I'm like, I had a really epic adventure and it made me who I am today. And I'm even on a deep soul level in terms of the family contracts and soul contracts I have with my family. I feel like they are my allies at such a deep level, and I love them so much. And I'm not mad at them for what happened and our relationships have improved. My dad is no longer here, but at the end of his life, he really supported my astrology business and like helped me financially to get it going. And sometimes we'd talk on the phone and like dream up my success together. He had this kind of Jupiterian, like, yeah, like one day you'll take us on vacations. And he was really warm and sweet about that. And I feel that was so beautiful. So I'm really blessed. I have so many reasons to be grateful. And I'm glad that I've had these experiences and in the kind of order and the time to process them and come to a place where I can share this knowledge with other people in a way that's coming from my heart. Thank you so much.